Good morning, church. Good morning, all. Um, whoever you are, wherever you are, it's a blessing to be seen by you today and to be um, continuing in our series, The Unchanging God in Changing Times, and just considering the way in which the Lord would speak to us today. Now, if you have been a Christian for any length of time, it's quite likely that at some point or in some way you have experienced church hurts. In fact, I praise God if you haven't, but I'd also suggest that if you haven't, it's quite likely that you've not really established yourself in community in a, in a meaningful way to the extent that you've been able to continue on the fringes be on the periphery and avoid actually experiencing church hurt. Um, there are many people for whom church hurt has kept them away from church because there's been this expectation that they wouldn't experience that in the context of the community of God. And today as we look at the scriptures, we see that actually this has been going on within the community of God from the beginning. And it's not something that we shouldn't expect. In fact, we are being quite sentimental and unrealistic not to expect it. So it's not a matter of um, whether or not it's going to happen. It's really more a matter of how we're going to respond to it and how we can avoid being the perpetrators of it. And so as we look at Nehemiah 5 today, and we'll see that the people were fundamentally hurting one another. This is the, the people of God fundamentally hurting one another. And yet, the Lord had a man among them who would uphold the word and call them back to the Lord. So I'm going to read the text and then pray and we'll get in. Nehemiah chapter 5. Reading from the ESV, um, from verse 1 to the end, verse 19. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help. Sorry, it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Verse 6. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, 
you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, and from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me had laid heavy burdens on the people and took from, from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds. And every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. And Lord, we do come before you this morning and we ask that you would instruct our hearts that Lord, as we look at your word as a mirror, that you would reveal to us ourselves and those um, responses that we need to make to you and to what you have done in our lives and who you have called us to be. We thank you, Lord God, for your mercy and your grace that, Lord, even now you haven't struck us off. You haven't disbanded us and 
disregarded us, but you continue in your mercy and grace as revealed in Christ to nurture us, to cultivate us, to, to prune, even to chastise, and yet also to correct, to nourish, and to grow us that we might be a faithful representation of your people and that we might reveal your glory one to another and to the nations. So help us, Lord, as we engage with your word today to have ears to hear and hearts ready to respond. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. And so we understand that the people are in the process of rebuilding. These people have come out of captivity in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar and the, the, the other rulers of that time. And you can read about that experience when you look at the book of Daniel because that is speaking of this people when they were in captivity. And yet they've come out of captivity and they are called to rebuild the wall, the wall around the city of Jerusalem. And walls were such that they offered protection. They provided a stronghold of safety and refuge for all those that were within it. Hence, in chapter 4, are seeing opposition to the rebuilding because their opponents didn't want them to become strong and self-sufficient and able to grow in number uncontested. In fact, they feared them as we'll see later in the text, when the war was finished. And yet in the midst of this, we see that there was a famine, verse 3. And so the people have the hard work of rebuilding the wall, and whilst rebuilding the wall, doing the work of God, they experience um, a, a natural calamity that in and of itself was working against them. It might feel like that right now as we go through this prolonged and intense global pandemic. That actually we're in a place where trying to do the work of God, which is generally more challenging enough as it is, is even more difficult as we endure the circumstances of the pandemic. And when people go through hardship, there can be a tendency for us to become very self-centered, um, very insular, um, selfish. Um, we can come with an outlook of self-pity and feel, woe is me, things are so hard. You know what? I need to take care of number one because in these hard times, no one else is. And in doing so, we can then begin to put upon even those who are nearest to us. And this is what was going on here. These people were experiencing hardship in that the men in particular were having to go off and work on the wall, as we read previously. And yet, in the first verse, we see that the families, we hear particularly the outcry from the wives and the families with many children were, were crying out because whilst 
the work was going on on the wall, they were not able to earn to provide for themselves. They were not landowners. They may have been renters and having to pay landowners with the produce that they would have harvested uh, or the, the cattle that they would have reared and they were unable to do that. In fact, the situation was so challenging that people were remortgaging, remortgaging their properties just in order to eat. Imagine that. We're not talking about remortgaging your property to build an extension, to, to, to put a, a loft conversion in, add value to your property and see your investment increase. Just to eat, buy groceries. Times were hard. And yet, it goes on further to say that the people were even having to borrow to pay their taxes. And we've just gone through self-assessment season and having to make our tax returns. And some of us know that feeling <laughs> when you've had to try and draw down funds from X, Y, and Z because you've got a tax bill, a tax demand that you need to meet. And maybe under normal circumstances, they would have done the wise thing and kind of laid up for themselves as they went along. I mean, that's what we should be doing, right? But still, due to the famine, they didn't have that kind of surplus. But the really sad thing about all of this was the fact that they were indebted to their own people. Verse 1 and verse 5 show us this. The great outcry in verse 1 was against their Jewish brothers. In verse 5, they say, look, our flesh is their flesh. And our children is their, like, we're one people. How are they doing us like this? If you are trying to jump churches to avoid church hurts, if you're trying to stay on the fringe of church life in order to stay safe, you're, you're misguided, and I want to tell you that today. Because the reality is that we don't get heaven till we get there. And so God has called us to be walk, working side by side, shoulder to shoulder on the wall together. The wall is a representation of the work of God, the kingdom of God, that we are Listen, as believers, God didn't just translate us to heaven as soon as we became a Christian because he has expected that we would be here as his witnesses. The great commission of Matthew 28, go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have. This is the call of every single Christian. That's not the call just of pastors or deacons, or leaders, or missionaries, or seminary teachers. That is the call to each one of us as Christians. That is the call upon your life. No Christian should have to wonder what has God called you to. 
You have been saved to serve the Lord Jesus. And so if you're trying to, 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 to duck and to dodge hurts to the extent that you're not engaging in community, you're not committing yourself, you're not making yourself vulnerable, then actually what you're doing is you're missing a means by which God would use those experiences to make you more like Jesus. Because that's what God has purposed. There is no crown without the cross. And we see that in the life of Christ, our Savior. Jesus himself said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. In this world, you will have trouble. And we hear that and we think about the external opposition. But the reality is that the community of God is a community of broken people who are works in progress. We all are. And we're all in need of constant grace and mercy. And the problem is, we, we get to a place where we're not willing to show the same grace to others that we show to ourselves. And so, these, the community of God were being exploited by their own people. And how has this happened? I would say as we go through, we'll see um, four things. They had lost sight of the Lord and his loving kindness. They had lost sight of where they had come from. They had lost sight of the law and they had lost sight of the Lords, those who belong to the Lord, their own people, their own brethren. Their own identity had become lost in their own eyes. You see, these people were acting out of order and not in accordance with the law of God. And we see from the book of Ezra and the ministry of Zerubbabel, even of Haggai and others in that season, that there was a concerted effort to return to the law of the Lord. And in it, God has revealed himself and his loving kindness. In verse 9, Nehemiah says this to the people. The thing you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? Now, how was Nehemiah able to say that this is not good and actually to recognize that the fear of God was the antidote to this situation? The lack of the fear of God was the, 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 the root that needed to be resolved in this situation. Um, well, let's listen to the law of God. In Leviticus 25, I'm going to just choose select verses. You can read the whole chapter to, to appreciate the context more fully. But God communicated his intention for his community of people to be a supportive loving community that would help one another, even sacrificially. In Leviticus 25, verse 35 and 36, um, if you're able to throw that up. Thank you, my brothers. Leviticus 25, 35 and 36, it says, If your brother becomes poor 
and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. So if your brother becomes poor, look after him. Verse 36, notice. Take no interest from him or profit, but what? Fear your God that your brother may live beside you. Take no interest. This is in the law, predating their experience right there in Jerusalem as they've returned as exiles. The same law that had been recovered and, and read before them. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. In verse 39 and 40, it goes on to say, again, another example. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. But this was what was going on there in Nehemiah 5. Our sons and our daughters have become, are, are, are being sold as slaves to them. And this was the, the, the debtor's slavery. When you had a debt that you couldn't pay, you'd basically give a family member to basically work off that debt. And in verse 40, he shall be with you as a hired worker and a sojourner. So again, there's this sense of don't ill treat your brother. This is these are your people. Furthermore, these are you are all my people. Hmm. Verse 47. Same, same chapter. If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. So someone falls into debt to somebody who's not a, 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 a part of that community of God and they sell themselves to, to pay off that debt and once they've sold themselves, they're saying, look, don't leave him there uh, among those people who are not your people. Buy him out and set him free. Verse 48. Then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him. Verse 49. Or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him. Or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. Or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. Now, listen to the punchline, verse 55. Jeez, okay. That wasn't the punchline that I was expecting. But, um, yeah, we just had a pop here in the, in the building, but praise God, we're all right. Um, verse 55. For, for it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. Listen to God's heart. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See, there isn't this sense of being indebted to one another, enslaved to one another. Actually, we are bond slaves of Jesus Christ. It is him ultimately to, 
to whom we owe a debt that we cannot pay. And he doesn't even expect us because that gift of freedom was granted graciously, generously through the blood of the Son. And yet the Lord here, speaking of an earlier deliverance from captivity, says, it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. Look at God in his goodness. They couldn't find a way out. They couldn't make a way out. But God was their way out of captivity. When we find ourselves in that place of self-pity, just wanting to take care of ourselves at the expense of our brothers and sisters, we need to remember where we've come from. We need to remember what it was like back in our days, our sinful days, when people had no qualms and hesitation to tell us about ourselves. They had no qualms or hesitation to leave us hungry on the roadside Some of the treatment that we experienced in our BC days before becoming Christians, for some of us has drifted very far from our memories. We forget the relief that we experienced when we came to the Lord and received forgiveness. Even the ways in which we exploited and humiliated and dominated others in our BC days only to find forgiveness, to find a new start, a clean slate, a new family. And yes, even in those early days when we became Christians and you know what? The, the family God of God was family to us. And we, it's like, we're not perfect, but we're family. What is it that, um, I don't even know what song that was. He ain't heavy, but he's my brother. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. And that sense of, listen, I'm ready, I'm, I'm happy to, to put up with, I'm happy to accommodate, I'm happy to take on board your weaknesses and your flaws. Because we're family in God. Where have we lost our identity? Where have we lost that sense of being the Lord's people at his expense, by his grace, not our own? Where have we lost that sense of grateful faithfulness because of what God has done in us and for us? You know, one of the ways in which we lose it is that we neglect to see our own sinfulness even now. Self-righteousness is such that it will quickly quench any sense of gratitude in our hearts because we feel almost entitled to the goodness of God. And that is something that will motivate us to look down on our brothers and sisters as if they are less than us, as if they're not even worthy of our presence, worthy of our help. Furthermore, they need to listen to us 
and be told by us what to do because we're so righteous and we know better. What do we have that we did not receive, the Apostle Paul said in Corinthians? Who are we really other than that which God has made us to be? And it's that fear of God that is spoken of in the law that would cause us to support our brother and have them live beside us and we live beside them. There's other references you can, you don't, don't, you don't have to display this, but you can look up in Deuteronomy 15, um, references to the same matter, um, particularly from verse 12 to verse 18. You can look up Exodus 21, verses 2 to 11, and these are all clear statements within the context of the law that relate to God's expectation And so what are some of the ways in which we lose sight of the fear of the Lord? Again, Nehemiah 5 verse 9. Nehemiah echoing what we read there in Leviticus 25. The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies. You see, the reality is that for us, when it comes to how are we exploiting others, maybe we're those people who won't contribute to the building of the wall. It's beneath us. And so we're not going to take our time and our effort we're going to leave it to those others to do. And, you know, it's a, it's a reality in church life. We've come to see churches all over the globe. Similar principles. It's the same few people that do all the work. And yet, as Christians, we're not called to be spectators, but participants, partakers in the work of the Lord. And so by us standing aloof and watching, not even just watching, but leeching off the efforts of our brothers and sisters, we'll enjoy the services, we'll, you know, we'll expect the marriage counseling, we'll want the dedications and the, um, the marriage and the funerals, and we, we want all of the trappings without any kind of buy-in, without any kind of investment, without any kind of solidarity or camaraderie. want the protection of the wall but won't build it in fact we can become those who exploit our brothers and sisters not just in those senses but even if just being armchair critics people endeavoring to serve people endeavoring to do their utmost for the Lord's highest, and yet recognizing 
a gnawing, constant, incessant criticism. We may be those who we exploit our brothers and our sisters by holding offenses, keeping them indebted to us. Something went wrong in the relationship and we won't let it go. See, these are all expressions of similar circumstances. And yet, we ought to walk in the fear of God. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 1 verse 7. In Proverbs 8 verse 13. Um, you might want to flash this up for me. Thank you. Proverbs 8 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Listen. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. You notice how pride and arrogance is stated in the context of evil and the right response being the hatred of evil. Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see, the fear of the Lord is very practical. The fear of the Lord isn't this sense of terror, but it's this sense of reverent, supreme respect. It's, it's like standing in front of Niagara Falls as you are overwhelmed with awe and wonder at the magnitude and the majesty of this natural phenomena, and yet you won't go close to the edge because of the magnitude of its power. And it is us staring at God in awe and wonder in all of his majesty and yet recognizing all of that majesty contains all authority and all power and God can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants, whenever he wants. I think of that moment when I think of the fear of God in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, my girls growing up used to love the, the BBC version. That's the one, with Mr. Tumnus. And in there, there's a moment when um, I think it's, it's Mr. Beaver is having a conversation with Susan. And the conversation goes a little like this. It says, uh, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. That's what Mr. Beaver says. Ooh, said Susan. I'd thought he was a, a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that sense of the Lord Jesus Christ, the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, no matter how tame 
you might feel that your lion is, you should always have reverence for its instinct. Because at any moment it chooses to revert, it's game over. I don't have a lion, I have a cat. And um, my cat is a good cat, generally speaking. But there's a certain level at which I know, even though I'm 10 times, 20 times its size, that cat can do me something wrong if I cross him. Because those claws and those teeth can do work on my flesh in ways that would be so painful. And so there's a certain level at which I have a certain respect for the cat. I mean, at certain times I have to beat the cat because he's out of order. But I still have a certain respect for the cat because I know that if I trouble the cat, the cat can really hurt me. And I've got a couple of scars to prove it. When we think about God, we can't just think about God casually. Jesus is my homeboy. There is a sense in which the Lord is intimate. He's caring. He's tender. But never ever lose sight of the fact that God is sovereign. He is bound by no one. He answers to no one. I mean, that, that doesn't even sound fair in our day and age. Someone who answers to no one. Someone who has no accountability. <laughs> That's the God we serve. And so as we consider how we treat one another, we must always consider that in the context of who God is. This is what the fear of God results in. And what does that look like practically? I'm going to give you five practical points as it relates to the, the fear of God. The fear of God is expressed through us being responsive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. John 16 verse 8 makes it clear that the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. The fear of God will result in us being sensitive and responsive to the conviction of Scripture. Hebrews 4 verse 12. It will result in us being responsive to the conviction that the Lord will minister through saints. Proverbs 27.5, open rebuke is better than love that is hidden. Matthew 18.15-20 in the course of correction laid out by Jesus in the context of the church. And yet, as these progressive waves of conviction work, Sometimes it goes beyond that when we're not hearing the, the Holy Spirit and we're not hearing the, 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 the Word, the Scriptures, and we're not responsive to someone who's come and had the, the love and the kindness to speak the truth in love to us. And so then we go through circumstances, Hebrews 12, 3-11, of difficulty and chastisement, yet it's at the hand of the Father because he chastises those whom he loves. But then there's another ultimate level 
that would work the fear of God in us? Should we be unresponsive to those initial four initial stages? And this fifth one is the conviction of affliction. 1 Corinthians 5, 5. Hand the person over to Satan for the destruction of the set flesh. And yet with the psalmist, we would say, Psalm 119, verse 71. In Psalm 119, verse 71, the psalmist said, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes, that I might learn your ways. And so I want to challenge and encourage us. You know, when we talk about conviction, it's, it's not a word that we use often in, in our circles especially when it comes to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But that sense of God speaking to our hearts, don't say that, don't do that. You know you ought to say this, you know you ought to do that. You know that wasn't right, you know you ought to ask forgiveness. And that being reverberated. And so... This is what the fear of God would look like practically in and among us. And you see, Nehemiah himself, I mean, we see verses um, 6 to 13, he was angry. And in verse 7, he said, I took counsel with myself. And that's a, a good thing for us to do when we're feeling angry. That basically means he sat down and he fought it over. And he, he, he fought about it deeply. And he considered the situation. And then he responded by instituting justice amongst the people. And the people responded with praise, verse 13. See, when we're responsive to the fear of God outworked among us, it results in restoration it results in renewal it results in harmony and it results in the glorifying of God but Nehemiah in verses 14 to 19 he didn't just call on them to fear God but he modeled what it looked like to fear God because he feared God and we see this in verse 15 when we see how he responds, he says that he didn't exploit the people, even though he had a part. So you had the nobles and so on that were um, holding heavy um, burdens over the people financially. And as a result, those people were having to borrow money. And Nehemiah and his people were one of those who they had to borrow money from. And He's looked at the situation in verse 10 and he's like, actually, I've, I've been one of those, I and my brothers, who have been lending to these people for this purpose. Hold on, you know what? I recognize my part in this. Let us all stop this. And as a good leader, he demonstrated and modeled 
what it looked like to be responsive to God. And if you want to be a person of influence, and if you want to be a person who's going to um, affect change within the community of God, see, people are not just leaders because of titles. People's, people are leaders because of the influence they have upon others. And there are many in our church family who are leaders among us without a title. And it's very clear. And even if you desire to see change in our church family and you desire to see the influence of your conviction based of the, on the word outworked among us, there is a necessity first to model that. Nehemiah was a governor for 12 years. And not only did he not exploit the people, him nor his staff, in contrast to the other governors prior to him, as he states in verse 14. Not only did he not exploit the people, but he worked on the wall. He didn't just stand by and watch and tell people what to do, but he and his staff, he and his household worked on the wall, and not only did they work on the wall, they'd done it without making future investment of buying land. He didn't sort himself out. He focused on the work at hand. On top of that, he paid for the provisions of his staff household, dignitaries and esteemed visitors, verse 17 and 18. Why? He, because he refused to burden his people in verse 18. I thank God that I serve among leaders like that. Leaders who for over 17 years, 18 years, have served as leaders, as elders in this place, in an exemplary way, at their own expense, and not only at their own expense in terms of not receiving that which they could require, but also at their own expense in paying. Paying with their time, paying with their talent, even paying with money to see the work of God go on. I count it a privilege to serve amongst such leaders. I count it an honor. Brothers like Pastor Rob. Pastor Patrick, Pastor Neil, Bertram, Mikey P, Rich T, men of honor, men who fear God, men who are not in this for themselves, men who would even take the insults and abuse of others rather than impose upon them. And you know, it's sad because when we look at verse 19, the concluding verse of the chapter, Commentators recognized that Nehemiah felt sad that the people didn't appreciate his commitment. They didn't appreciate his sacrifice. They didn't appreciate his example. And yet he wasn't looking to the people for his reward. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Subtext. They don't. They haven't. But Lord, you do. 
And for all of us in ministry, giving ourselves to the work of the Lord, this is the only expectation of recognition we can have. Because people are people. And people are not going to pat you on the back. And if you're doing it for that, and if you're someone who needs approval and affirmation in order to feel motivated to serve, then you're not serving the Lord. You're serving yourself. When I was growing up, they used to say, real bad man move in silence. And there's this sense that true leaders, leaders of honor, we don't clamor and we ought not to clamor for recognition and affirmation and approval and celebration because the Lord will take care of that in due season if we don't faint, if we don't grow weary in well-doing. And we see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. He lived this way amongst the Corinthians, not willing to burden them for the sake of the gospel. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 2, likewise. A minister who was willing to work by his own hands, even though he could have required to be taken care of. And yet, in that same text in Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul tells the people, you get what you pay for. It's just a modern paraphrase of you reap what you sow. And if we really want to see the work of God established, if we really want to see the kingdom of God outworked among us, we have to be prepared to invest in it. Invest our time, invest our, our talents in coming alongside our brothers and sisters and giving ourselves to this work and also invest our treasures in the way that we saw Nehemiah do in this text here. Supporting his whole staff of 150 people a day at his table at his own expense. And so may the Lord help us because this is the way of Christ. Christ gave of himself entirely for you to bring you and me out of captivity, out of darkness, out of the dungeon, out of the, that place of being under the wrath of God. place of destitution and hopelessness and bringing us into a family where for many of us for all of our gripes and grievances against the church they're more they're closer and more real to us than many of our own natural families and so I don't have false expectations of what it means to be a part of the people of God don't function on a level of mere sentimentality. These issues will arise, but Jesus has conquered them all. And we will experience unbridled, unrestricted, unlimited harmony in heaven. And yet we also right now get a foretaste of God's glory divine having made us one people. We see this in the book of Ephesians. 
God's new humanity, God's new society, God's new community. No more Jew nor Gentile, no, no more male nor female, but one in Christ. The wall of division has been taken down and separate, that separated us. And we have been brought near to God and near to one another. And so this ought to be our conviction. This ought to be our commitment to walk with one another, to support one another, to fulfill the one another's of the New Testament as we love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, correct one another when we need it, and yet comfort one another. May the Lord help us. Let's pray. Lord, we um, ask your forgiveness for where we have allowed, whether it be circumstance or just our own sinfulness, deviate us from the commitment to you and to your people. As you've said in your word, how can you say you love God who you can't see and you don't love your brother and your sister who you can see? How can you say that? And that doesn't just mean loving each other when we're lovable, when we're lovely, when we're agreeable, because that's not how you've loved us, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to love one another with all of our hearts as a response to you, not because we want to earn your favor, not because we want you to secure our future and pour out abundant blessing, but because we know we've been blessed. Jesus is alive. We've been forgiven. The tomb is empty. We have new life. We thank you, Lord. And we pray that that gratitude would result in faithfulness. And that that would be manifest in the way we love one another in the fear of you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.